Howdy. Welcome to the Sacred City Life podcast. This is your host, Pastor Justin Dean. And on this podcast, we talk about following Jesus in the normal rhythms of life. And this is episode number 16. And with me today is my friend and guest, Brent Norwood. And Brent is the deacon of finance at Sacred City Church. He also, uh, well, I'm going to let him say a little bit about himself here. So why don't you tell us a little bit about where you're, where you're coming from, yeah, Brent? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thanks for having me on, on your podcast. This is the first for me. Uh, yeah, quick quick background. Uh, originally uh, from Texas, but uh, came to the uh, Quad Cities area here six years ago now. Uh, spent pretty much most of my adult life working in the in the finance industry in, in various uh, capacities. I started in uh, the investment management arena and then mid-career uh, switched to uh, corporate finance. And about the time where, where we moved to the Quad Cities area, uh, I became involved with uh, Sacred City Church first as, as members and then uh, as a member of the finance team. And that was a, an interesting uh, transition, I guess, the, the relevance for me being on the show, too. Uh, and uh, um, I think the interesting transition there was uh, transitioning from, uh, you know, working for organizations that, that use their financial resources to uh, maximize profit to working for a non, non, not-for-profit and, and for the church, which, which uses its financial resources to further a, a mission. Uh, so that's, that's kind of my background while I'm here. Uh, as a member of the, the Sacred City Finance Team, I've also had the opportunity to do a lot of uh, individual counseling. So that's, that's a new one for me. Uh, and, and I've learned a lot in the process, and, and uh, uh, it's been quite a journey. So. so you might be able to pick up what we're going to talk about today. Uh, we're going to be talking about money. And it is a subject that is near and dear to all of our hearts. We spend uh, probably the majority of our waking hours um, thinking about it, thinking about how to get it, thinking about how to save it, thinking about how to use it, thinking about what you know, what it can buy us, what can it provide for us. Um, and so a lot of our time is spent thinking and talking about money. And obviously Jesus said a lot of stuff about money, and he said that you know where our money is or where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. And uh, money, we know, has a you know, powerful pull and influence in our heart. So, Brent, when you, you know, as you've counseled people at Sacred City, how have you, uh, I mean, what, what kind of issues are people coming to you um, with, with when it, in regards to their finances? Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting. People almost always come to me uh, with the presumption that they have a money knowledge problem, right? And if, if they can get the right tool in place, whether it's a budget or an investment plan, that they can really solve uh, their, their money problem. I think, you know, what, what happens with, with every session eventually is we, is we understand that you know, there, there's usually a deeper issue into, into their money problem, deeper than, than a money knowledge problem. There's, there's always an emotional or a heart issue uh, at play. And, and if you don't tackle that, it doesn't really matter, you know, what, what tools you give somebody. If they don't know why they overspend uh, or if they don't know why uh, they're not generous, then uh, the, the tools of the financial trade really, really don't, don't matter at all. So I think, you know, having, having done a lot of counseling sessions over the last six years, that's, that's probably been the, learn, uh, you know, the biggest insight for me. Uh, it's hard for me, too, because it's, uh, unfortunately, it's a little more Dr. Phil. It's like a little less Jim Cramer. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that, that's probably been the biggest learning I've had. So they come in thinking you're going to, you know, just whip out spreadsheets and solve the problem. 
but actually you've got to, you know, sit down. They've got to lay down on their, on your couch and close their eyes and you put on soft music and you got, there's some kind of counseling. Scented candles. Scented as well. candles. Yeah, yeah, we do that. Scented candles. Start with some mantras. Um, well, it's interesting because so right now we're doing our first ever series on money um, at Sacred City. And um, it's taken us seven years to really tackle this subject for a lot of different reasons. <clears throat> and um, one of the things I keep hearing from people, um, not everybody, everybody doesn't come up, but I've had several people come up to me and say, why have you waited this long? I needed to hear this a long time ago. And um, I waited this long for many different reasons. Uh, some missional, I know people didn't like, they didn't want preachers talking about money and they didn't want people asking for money all the time. And so I kind of avoided the topic to reach the lost. But then there's other um, reasons. I just, you know, a lot of preachers use bad theology to justify their own greed and different things. And I didn't want to be like one of them. And so I've kind of avoided the topic. And, um, but I've seen how, you know, that's, that's been a failure on my part. That's been a mistake. And one of the interesting things that I've enjoyed about this series that we've been first three weeks, just zeroing in on Matthew six and Jesus um, teaching in the sermon on the Mount um, on the issue of money he talks about basically there's two ways there's two treasuries there's the treasury on earth and then there's the treasury in heaven and then he talks about there's basically two ways two perspectives on money one you're either blind to it so if you're this is where he equates greed with with actual physical blindness um, insinuating that when you're greedy most of the time you don't even know you're greedy and therefore, you're blind to your blindness. And then, so he's kind of got two treasures, the treasure on earth, the treasure in heaven. You got blindness or you're seeing. And when, if you're seeing, then that means you're seeing Jesus and his kingdom and his mission as more important than anything else in your life, as more valuable than anything else in your life. And then lastly, you've got two masters. And of, of course, uh, he says you cannot serve both God and money. Um, you've got the God the, the, the God of Scripture, the God of reality, uh, as your God, or you've got mammon, you've got money, and all of this, again, hinges on this, you know, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. So so there's this blindness, this blinding aspect of money that blinds us to um, its influence in our own life, right, it's in, our, in our own heart. So what are, as you are, and the other interesting thing is, most of the time, we're not blind to it in others. So <laughs> when, when people are coming to you um, for counsel, you can probably you have probably pretty good perspective to see into their heart issues where they're blind to it themselves. So what are some common heart issues that you're seeing as people are coming to you? Yeah, you know, the, the, the first thing that, that we'll generally talk about, uh, and I'll start the session just by, by asking, you know, what is your general orientation to money? When, when people talk about money, how does that make you feel? <clears throat> and without a doubt, one, almost 100% of the time, people immediately talk about their family of origin, okay? Mm. And they talk about how money was handled in their home growing up. And, and one of, they have one of two responses. Either they thought that was a good thing, and so they emulate that, or uh, they thought it was handled poorly, and they, they, whatever they do, they just do the opposite of what they saw growing up. And, and, and in most cases, actually, neither one may be a health, healthy response, but it, it doesn't matter. That's just um, that's the house they grew up in. This is the response they've chosen. And, and 
because they don't, folks don't get asked that question very much. What's your orientation to money? They've never really verbalized it. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure they've even connected their current money problems to their family of origin. They've yeah. never really thought about it until they get asked that question. And so that's usually where we start. And, and from that, we'll start to we'll start to understand where their issues lie and you know everybody is unique and 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 uh and each, each situation is different but i say broadly speaking I'll, I'll see people fall into one of two broad categories i'm going to oversimplify here a bit but uh i, I think most will identify in, in one of these two and the first is is the compulsive spender and you know this individual finds their their beauty and significance in the things that they have and money buys them the good life. So when they have it, they spend it. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's that's usually one of the, the most common problems that I see uh, when I meet with folks. And, you know, it can take, you know, I would say that that money issue is not primarily rooted in a money knowledge problem. It's a heart problem. It's an emotional problem that they have. And, and it can take a lot of different forms. Um, you know, it can be, in many cases, it's somebody that's actually making uh, a very good salary. Uh, but they can't seem to 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 stay within a budget, right? Uh, conversely, it could be someone maybe who you know by American standards doesn't make a lot of money, but they can't reconcile uh, their current stage in life with their budget, right? Uh, and they have higher tastes than than they have uh, income for, and so uh, I think this can take. Uh, uh, this can look a lot of different ways. Uh, you know, you have the traditional trappings of uh, conspicuous consumption, right? The large house. Uh, in a neighborhood that you can't quite afford or the car that really is is more luxury than you need. Uh, Increasingly, I see this manifest itself through what I'm going to call inconspicuous consumption. And this can take a lot of different forms. Uh, Probably the most alarming uh, increase I've seen in inconspicuous consumption is coming from uh, things that have to do with your children. Okay. So being in the right sports leagues. And I have um, you know, individuals I've met with that allocate twenty, twenty-five thousand dollars a year because they've got three kids in traveling leagues uh, with very high, you know, league fees and hitting coaches, and uh, and so I see a lot of money uh, going into maybe very subtle displays or signaling of of wealth these days. So, you know, from from your perspective, Justin, what what you know, where do you point people to when they find their beauty and significance? in the things that they have. And they, they, they found themselves falling into that trap of compulsive spending. Yeah. <clears throat> well, just before I answer that question, I think just the whole concept <clears throat> of compulsive spending, I just think you need, we need, we need to think about that just for a little bit, because so many times, even for the compulsive spender, which I, if I, if, you know, um, I probably would fall into a compulsive spender. I, I'm more of a spender than a, than a saver compulsive that word it just it kind of gets to the heart of the issue that you're mm. kind of out of control yeah and, and it's something that's going on sometimes the money's gone before you even know it mm-hmm. it's not like you're actually thinking about it um you just this is like so in your example well i love my kids yeah and because i love my kids guess what my treasure goes to where my heart is <laughs> and i don't even think about it it's compulsive yeah and I think that's what Jesus was pointing out. It, your heart is compulsive, and money reveals where your heart's at. So, so if it's compulsive, and your money goes to where your your heart is at, 
what good is a spreadsheet? <laughs> yeah. You ain't breaking that out before you spend any money, right? There is no, let me consult my budget. You're not doing that. Your heart doesn't consult your budget ever. But what does everybody ask for when they start financial counseling? Yeah. A spreadsheet. A, a spreadsheet. Yeah. yeah. The they, budget, right? Right. They need. They think they need a budget. Um, unfortunately, now, if you have a financial planner that's going to manage your finances and is not going to allow you to spend money, maybe that works. But the problem is we can swipe whenever we want to swipe. Yep. Not even worse than that. We just go to Amazon and one click, buy this now, boom, already on the way. And I know I've bought things on Amazon without even thinking about it. Literally, I had a moment like, I need that. Oh, I'm going to get on there. Got it. It's already on the way. I didn't, that didn't go through my budget. That didn't go through any, any checks and balances. Yeah. It was completely compulsive. And, uh, and there's something that feels good about doing that. Right now to answer your question. Um, so if the problem is compulsive, if the problem is a heart problem, um, a guy named Thomas Chalmers used this expression one time. And he says, basically, the way you change your heart is through the expulsive power of a new affection, the expulsive power. So we're thinking of compulsion and now this expulsive power of a new affection. And basically what he's saying is, you know, uh, if you love this type of coffee, one way to not love that type of coffee is to find a new type of coffee that you love even better. And now you don't even, basically, your new love for this new coffee um, blows away your your old love, right? It, it's got an expulsive power. It pushes out the other loves. And so one of the ways that we can get reoriented um, to money and this compulsive spending is to actually see the true value, the true worth um, of Christ and Christ's kingdom. You know, Jesus says uh, in Matthew 6, 28, when we're talking about, you know, all the clothes that we need and all the food that we need and all the, the bling that we want to have, Jesus says, consider the lilies of the field. Consider how they grow. They neither toil or spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. And he says, but if God so closes the, clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you? And he's just saying, God is going to take care of you, mm -hmm. but... The, the trick is to see our true value in the eternal treasury. And that's and the in, in the yeah. internal treasure is our worth in Christ, our righteousness, our future inheritance in the saints. The Paul, that's the language Paul uses. Jesus literally says, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. So that that what he's saying there is when I'm giving to the kingdom of God, I'm literally filling up a heavenly bank account that I'll get to draw from for eternity, mm -hmm. right? There's like, an that just blows my mind to think that I could be right now through giving, storing up for myself eternal treasures. I, I just think that, that that blows my mind. So for the spender, he needs to get, and I'm going to use the, even the word maybe obsessed mm -hmm. because most of, you know, the things that we really love, we, we're obsessed about our kids, right? We're obsessed about these things. We need to get obsessed about what Christ has done for us and the value. I mean, Jesus is called the pearl of great price. He is the buried treasure in the field that we were called to sell everything for to possess. And so 
to have that kind of love for Christ will uh, put other loves in check. You know, the things that we're trying to spend our money on to, to yeah. gain that have a fleeting value. No doubt. So the, the truths you just uh, uh, pointed people to are, are far more useful in combating compulsive spending than a spreadsheet and a budget tracker. Um, and I, I think that, you know, th and that's why we start with the heart and emotional issues first, right? Because if you don't understand the things you just talked through, the, the, the actual practical tools that you can use just aren't, just aren't going to, to be useful. But let me, let me throw another one at you, Justin, because there's, there's another bucket that, that I see people falling into. And I would say that this bucket is, is growing the, the fastest of, of the two. Um, and, and this would be yeah, yeah, the, the rigid, uh, I would call them the rigid saver. And, and this is where money is their security and safeguard and their means for controlling the world around them. Mm. And I think this can look a couple of different ways, uh, but I would say I'm, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna just interject one thing. Yeah, sure. I think we should stick with the word compulsive. Okay. I think it should be the compulsive saver. All right, let's do it. Let's because use that word. I think it's the same thing, right? It's yeah. the I almost like they almost hate spending money. Yeah. They 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 are com compelled to to store it away, yeah. to save it away. Now, how can that be a bad thing? <laughs> That was, you, you took the words right out of my mouth because people are going to listen to this and they're, they're going to really sing the virtues of being a savior, a saver. And there, and there are some virtues to, to be had, no doubt, but being a compulsive saver is, is actually not a virtue. Uh, and let, let, me, let me describe a couple of forms this takes, and I think it'll be more obvious uh, when you see this. So uh, many times I'll meet with somebody and they'll say, Brent, I, I really want, I, I want to be more generous. I do. Uh, but I can't do it right now, not until I'm, I'm mortgage free, right? Then, then I can live the, the generous life or, um, you know, this is kind of a, kind of a new one, but it's been coming up. It's, uh, you know, particularly some, some young, some of the younger members of the church who actually have financial means, um, but, but they're living at home well into their late twenties and early thirties, uh, because they want to retire when they're 45. So they're kind of drawing on the resources of others to feed that compulsion, uh, to, to save. And, uh, you know, the other, the other way I see this, uh, come up a lot in financial counseling is these people often, particularly if they're married, uh, they come to me with a lot of marital conflict, right? Because you have, uh, one person who is so tight and compulsive with their savings that it's driving their spouse crazy. And usually the saver is the one that schedules the meeting for me to come and talk sense into their spouse. <laughs> so, so they don't always get, get what they bargained for uh, uh, when we start this up. So and that, I think, that's interesting. Yeah. So, you know, Proverbs teaches us that a wise man uh, leaves an inheritance to his children's children. And so clearly there's biblical precedence. <clears throat> To, to save money, to be, yep. good, to be good stewards. Mm -hmm. But then Jesus kind of radically flips this concept on its head when he introduces the economics of the kingdom, and he says things like to the rich young ruler, uh, oh, you lack one thing, give, sell everything you own and give it to the poor and then come follow me. Now, I have never heard a person in a missional community or somebody that comes to a pastor and says, hey, I what do I need to do to get saved? Mm -hmm. I've never heard anyone say, give everything away and give it to the poor and then come follow Jesus. What's the answer? Oh, just repent, just pray, yeah. right? But Jesus, he, he, he doesn't really lower the standard there. And then when we see with Zacchaeus, mm -hmm. Zacchaeus, a man who worshiped money, 
And we don't know if he was a compulsive spender or saver. We know he was a compulsive getter. That's what we know. Yeah. He, he was a tax collector and manipulating people and uh, really um, ruining his relationships uh, because of his love for money. He sold his soul for money. And when he gets converted, when Jesus comes to his house and he meets Jesus, he encounters the real Jesus and the grace of Jesus, that Jesus is willing to come into a house of a sinner and be hospitable to him. He says, I'm giving away 50% of everything I've ever made. And I'm giving away, and then everybody I've defrauded, I'm going to repay mm-hmm. four times. Yep. And Jesus doesn't go, Well, that, hey, that's unwise. <laughs> that would not. You need to save that away, and and obviously there, there's no banks in these days, right? Yep, yep. There's there's no four hundred one ks. Nope. Um, he, he's not he's not saying, hey, you need to save that for your kids' education. You need to save that for retirement. Jesus says, today salvation has come to your house. Yeah. And so Jesus is affirming the fact that we, he's Zacchaeus is doing something we would label as unwise, right? With money, right? And so. Um, when it comes to the kingdom and when it comes to generosity specifically and living and hospitality, the word hospitality literally means welcoming strangers. And it's got this sense, we see it with Abraham, we see it all through the scripture. When Abraham meets somebody, he sacrifices the, the, the fattened calf for him, the lamb for him, he has a meal prepared for him, and he lays out the spread for people that he doesn't even know. Mm-hmm. And Jesus consistently does that as well and welcomes it to be done to him with the woman with uh, the expensive perfume. She, she, she breaks it and lavishes on him and he does not rebuke her. And, but we have the, uh, the, the rigid saver in the background of that scenario, right? <laughs> I think that was Judas. Ju- yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, that one hurt. That one hurt. Uh, Judas in the background saying we could have sold all of this, you know, and, and fed the poor and done this and done the other thing. And Jesus says, no, she's chosen the better way, right? Yeah. She's, this is she's done the one thing she prepared me for burial. Yeah. So clearly, when we're when we're in the kind of economics of Jesus, there is um, a type of savings that is um, could seem wise in the worldly perspective. Yep. But it's eternally foolish. Yep. And it's um, dishonoring to Jesus Himself. Yeah, I, I mean, I think you can see specific instances where, where Jesus does not place, you know, financial security above all else. He doesn't idolize that. And uh, in fact, you know, he, he allows Zacchaeus to make what, what we might call to be a foolish decision. He allows him to make that decision. And, um, you know, increasingly what I see is, is folks will play up the virtue of being a saver to oftentimes distract themselves uh, on the underlying and motivating emotions of fear and control that they have. Mm. And, it, and it really, I think it has, it can for many become a, a significant distraction there. And oftentimes, you know, see pe- folks kind of conflate financial security and peace, right? Like I'll have peace of mind when I have this financial security. And I think what the interesting thing is these people almost never live in peace. They almost always live in conflict, right? Mm. Like I said, they, they often come to me with, uh, uh, you know, it starts with marital conflict on account of their rigid, uh, they're being a kind of a compulsive or a rigid saver, or they're, <clears throat> these folks are drawing on the resources of others because they refuse to spend their, mo- uh, their own money. I mean, these are the people that, that bring bad beer oh. to, to MC. Yeah. Yeah. They're the uh, worst they- <laughs> friends. They're the worst friends. I just, Hey, I love you guys out there, all my saving friends, but 
you you give bad gifts sometimes, <laughs> right? You bring bad beer and bad whiskey and bad food sometimes, and you, you're the ones that that will bring a half-eaten cake to the traditional <laughs> community. Uh, you know, you just do silly things like that. Um, that 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 cracks me up. Um, now you you mentioned like a lot of times this comes from. Um, family of origin issues yep. and, and one clear way is obviously if, if you were raised in a family that didn't have enough or didn't have very much, or you were in a compulsive spending family and it came in and it went out as fast as it came in. Mm-hmm. And you know, you've seen your, you, you've seen your parents struggle with not having enough and, and, and uh, being controlled by money in that way. It is understandable how you could see the accumulation of your wealth as a buffer against, the, the pitfalls and the struggles of life. And so, yep. and it's interesting to me because it, as I've counseled people and talked with people, the numbers people come up with in their, everybody has a number, <laughs> but the numbers, some people, if I only had $10,000 in the bank, I would be totally generous. Right. And it's like whatever number they usually can't quite hit. And some people it's a hundred grand. Some people it's a million dollars. And and then some people it's, you know, way, way more than that. Which kind of proves your point. It's it's um, it's a nefarious um, attempt in, in a sense. It's mm-hmm. net. It, it's always going to promise security and promise yeah. safety, but it actually never is going to deliver it. And what I said on Sunday was, how much money do you really have, or do you really need to be safe and secure? Mm-hmm. And in our society, <laughs> one accident can cost you a million dollars. You know, one downturn in the economy can take away it all. Uh, one, you know, uh, my niece had a, t- a terrible accident, and that was, it was like a million dollars in medical bills, yep. you know, for a 12-year-old. Yeah. And so the reality is you will never, you know, pack enough away to really find that security. Well, exactly. And and, and if, if for you, your financial security does distract you from those underlying and motivating emotions, emotions of, of fear and control. Um, no, but it doesn't matter how much financial security you have, you're, you're being distracted from the root cause of, of your lack of security, right? You're not dealing with the emotions up front. And so there is no number mm. that, that gets rid of that emotions. If you, if those emotions, if you just ignore them, right? Yeah. Right. So again, the, the cure for this, the, the answer for this is, um, going deeper into the gospel and seeing how our ultimate trust and our ultimate security can only be found in Christ, and um, and and I would, I'd like to play on. Well, we kind of kind of kind of already mentioned it, but you know, wisdom is big for the saver. I'm just being wise. I'm just being wise. Yep. How wise is it to be packing away and storing away money on earth when you could be investing it in eternity? Because Basically, it's kind of interesting. I know savers, and a lot of times they look down on spenders like they're <laughs> foolish, frivolous. They're not planning for the future. But the same could be said for the rigid, compulsive saver, because they're all they're they're on the same timeline. They're just planning for you know a few years down the road. Right. They're not planning for eternity right. where they're going to spend eternity, yeah. time, ti- timeless <laughs> eternity. Right. That's right. Um, and, and, and that's, you know, that's why I brought this up kind of in the intro, right? And, you know, I'm, I'm pretty good with, with organizations that 
that use their financial resources to maximize profit. Um, I think what, what's a huge paradigm shift is, you know, for the church, we, we use our financial resources to, to uh, move forward a mission. And uh, f- for individual counseling, that's why, it's why I'm different than an uh, investment advisor, uh, is, you know, helping folks within the church use their financial resources, not just to invest wisely, when, when we talk about that and budget wisely, we certainly tackle those things, but also to, to move the mission forward here at, at their church and for the things that they're passionate about. And, and I think that's, that's a real paradigm shift for people, uh, but that's, that's really, the, that, that's really a, a critical step in, you know, in managing your finances wisely, is you know, what is your ultimate goal? That's good. So after you work through the emotional or the, the hard issues of money, what, what are the practical issues that you tackle here? So what, what are the yeah. practical you know, things that we need to be worried about? Yeah, so we do actually talk about the nuts and bolts of, of finance eventually. Once, once they get up off the couch and we, 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 we uh, you know, uh, turn down the soft music and blow out the scented candles, mm-hmm. uh, we actually talk about uh, financial stuff. And so you know, I think you know, f- first and foremost, I usually try to keep things very, pretty simple. Yeah. And uh, m- most people don't have the capacity to follow some rigid schedule, and they underestimate just how emotionally taxing and depleting it is to keep track of every single dollar. Everyone starts with that intent, but it soon fades. No, nobody ever uh, keeps it up. Um, in fact, again, the majority of people want me to set up some customized financial reporting model that adheres to generally accepted accounting principles mm-hmm. with a double entry standard and you know I mean, yeah. some ridiculously complex complex uh, systems because they want they want to track every last dollar uh, and that's not a good strategy so we generally try to keep it pretty simple totally acknowledge that some of you have some very complex situations so uh, you know to the extent that you have some real tax or estate planning needs you know uh, I, I would I certainly push those people to get external help where needed. But but in general, we try to keep it pretty simple. And we talk about budgeting, savings, and, and because we have a younger congregation, you know, what, what do you do with debt? How do you how do you manage debt? Um, and so, you know, we'll start start with budgeting, right? And, and the goal is to decide, you know, what you want to do with your money bef- before you spend it. And again, we help people understand that a budget is a tool. It's it's not a solution, okay? Mm. It's just a tool. And, and I, I have these three simple buckets that we try to use for your budget, right? Let's let's categorize your income in one of three ways. You have, and, and some people have maybe just one of these or maybe all three. Uh, you know, most of us have some sort of fixed component to to our income. So let's let's categorize what component of your income is fixed. Are you uh, on a salary? Do you, are you on an hourly rate? Do you work the same amount of hours, you know, per month? And, and you can get to kind of a fixed portion. A lot of us have a variable component to our, our income, right? And, you know, whether we um, have a bonus or something tied to company performance. And then, and then there's also a discretionary piece. Justin, sometimes you take jobs on the side. You might mm-hmm. do a contracting job, right? Uh, and so we, we, we try to make pretty simple categories on your income. And then we do the exact same thing with your expenses, right? You've got fixed expenses. You're going to pay those every single month, your mortgage and your property taxes and your car insurance and, and so on and so forth. Um, and then there's expenses that are variable, right? Uh, things that, uh, you know, you're going to spend money on food and clothes pretty much every, particularly if you have kids, you're going to, you're going to buy new clothes every month, but it varies in how much, right? Uh, we know to expect something and, and, uh, how much is, is, is going to change from, from month to month. And then there's a discretionary piece. These are, you know, when you decide to option up to a new car or go on a vacation, things you don't have to spend money on, uh, but, um, 
you know, but, uh, you know, from time to time, you're going to choose to do so. And, you know, really keeping these categories simple for people, helping them understand how their money is coming in, how it's coming out. And, you know, for, for the rigid saver, the compulsive saver, you know, on the um, expenses piece, we really work on, you know, their desire to be more generous because many of them do have a desire to be generous and it fights and it butts up against their compulsion to save. So in that fixed bucket expense of expenses, we generally talk about, you know, what are the things that you want to support? Where, what are the areas in your life you want to be generous and how generous can you be? And let's, let's count this as a fixed cost in your mm. life. And that's helpful for them. Um, it, it's helpful and it's painful for them, right? Cause they, for them, there's a trade off. You know, I like to put $500 a month in my 401k. And if I, if I give to, to the church or I give to fishers of men, then I can't do that. And so, um, it's, 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 it's a hard, um, you know, trade off, but I think when they make it, they can generally figure out how to, to build that discipline of being more generous. And for the compulsive spender, that discretionary bucket is mm. the hard one for them to tame, right? They, they don't understand that many of the reasons that they're going over their budget is coming from that discretionary bucket. It's things they don't need. It's, you know, the 10th time they've eaten out that month or, you know, the extra couple of days they put on the vacation. I had a friend. He was a compulsive spender. And uh, if you know the, the wonderful life... It's friend in, in quotes here? Right? Yeah, friend in quotes. Okay. No, this really is. And he, the, from the, you know, it, it's a wonderful life, right? The Christmas movie. And Clarence the Angel... Well, he said he couldn't resist Clarence the Angel, and as long as if something was on sale, he had to buy it. And uh, he would literally say, "You know, I can't keep a budget because I keep running into Clarence the Angel." <laughs> I was like, "You're a cons- you're a compulsive spender, brother." So, um, okay, so we've got this this idea of budgeting, yep. and we've got fixed, variable, discretionary, and yep. then debt and savings, and you've got giving and generosity in there. Um, which one of those do you hit first? It depends on who I'm talking to, right? So if if you know if we're if we're talking to uh, the saver, we we talk about the fixed bucket, right? And and how do we integrate generosity uh, in into your you know kind of monthly budgeting process, right? So we'll hit that one first, typically if if we're with the saver, right? Mm-hmm. If, if we're with the spender, we're going to talk about that discretionary bucket and what you know the causes. We already, we already really talked about the cause for them to to go over there. And, um, so we'll, we'll hit that first if I'm with a, with a spender. Okay. Well, let's talk about debt. Yeah. We've got, uh, a young congregation, which means, uh, folks are on the, uh, early end of their mortgage. Oftentimes if they own a house, uh, or, or they're carrying student debt or in many cases they've, uh, you know, uh, racked up credit card bills early in life that have you followed them around for five, six, seven years mm. at 25% interest. And so, um, yeah, we, we talk a lot about debt. And, um, you know, for for the spenders, it's usually about how do you get out of debt because they've, they've racked up debt on on things that, that, were, that were pretty foolish purchases or um, things that you don't want to use debt to buy, right? Any sort of good that is consumable or a service that's consumable, you don't want to be paying for that the next five years, you know, eating out on vacations and things that depreciate in value are very poor items to uh, utilize debt for, right? Yeah. So many times we're, we're coming up with a plan and prioritizing what we're going to pay off first, right, when we talk about debt. Um, and, and that's really where we start with, with, with the spender. And I think for the saver, 
Um, you know, usually where we're starting there, and, and, and there's been, um, I think, quite a few folks recently who, uh, and they've even got this idea from from Christian literature. Though I don't, I don't, I don't see it supported anywhere. Where you know, being having a mortgage or having debt is so um, unrighteous that I have a license to not tithe, to not be generous mm. until I pay down my debt. So we really, so I'll start there. And you know, what is a biblical perspective on debt, and and maybe um, attack this kind of misnomer that they need to, uh, uh, you know, or they have a license to be ungenerous while they pay down their mortgage. Yeah. So, I think I've heard that before, and that sometimes that's taken from um, the borrower is servant to the lender or a slave to the lender. And therefore, all debt is is slavery, or all mm-hmm. debt is bad, and w- so we should avoid all debt. Um, we should owe no man anything but to love him. You know, scriptures like that. The problem is we have a different economic system that than the, the scriptures uh, you know had back in the day. And there's some there's actually such a thing as good debt and yep. bad debt, yep. right? And like you said, the bad debt is you know. Um, credit cards and, and, and probably even in some sense auto loans and some mm-hmm. things like that. Um, what's good debt? Yeah, good debt is kind of debt that allows you to afford a long-lasting asset or even an asset that either holds its value or appreciates in value. Uh, and so, you know, I think, I think mortgages can be a very valuable tool, uh, financial tool for individuals who can't quite afford, afford a house in cash. Um, they can, you know, acquire that house over time through the use of a mortgage. Um, now, you need to ask yourself the, 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 the first question before you get into one is, is this the right house for me, right? Are you at a stage in life where you can afford a $200,000 house or a $300,000 house? You need, to, you need it needs to be the right house. But once you have the house, use of debt can be very appropriate. Um, and the cost of that debt is actually pretty minimal here in the U.S., right? Um, you know, student loans are, are another one where, um, you know, the value of an education can serve you your whole life and be very valuable. Now, that doesn't mean that all student debt is good, right? You need to consider the school you're going to and the type of degree you're getting and, and whether uh, it's economically viable for you to pay that back over time. But if it is, that can be a good uh, use of debt uh, for people. And so, you know, what's, what's interesting is with, with the, those who have a compulsion towards saving, sometimes they talk themselves out of good investments because it does require the use of debt. And this is where that underlying emotion of fear actually keeps people from flourishing. Yeah, that's good. And so, you know, this is something I feel like we're dealing with a lot at, at Sacred City. Uh, and so this is something we talk through with, with, with great regularity. And I think for those who, who, you know, categorize or characterize debt as kind of an evil or a form of slavery, you know, j- just note that when you put your money at the bank, you are now a lender to that bank, okay? Because you're lending them the money. You expect it back with interest, right? So, uh, there, you know, our financial system uh, kind of works on this uh, lender and, and borrower system. Even if you just have a plain old checking account, that's a form of debt. It's just you're now the lender, right? And so mm. there's no way to get out of that. And, and I think we just need to be wise about how we use debt. And there are some forms of debt that are predatory, and we want to stay clear of that. And that's why credit card debt is a very, you know, it's a, it's a very bad place to go. It's, it's hard to... Uh, pay that debt back because of the high interest rates. And so, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll keep people from getting into those situations as best we can. Okay. So um, what about savings? So, you know, savings, uh, as you might guess, kind of for, for the savers, it's, that, that comes very naturally, right? 
Um, I think, you know, uh, convincing them that they need to save and save early is easy to do. I think where the challenge comes is what do you save in? And, um, you know, for, for the, for the saver, they don't want to take any risks. Right. And if you're young, um, you need to, you have to get over that underlying emotion of fear and, and be able to make sure that you're in the right tools. So, you know, ha- having, uh, ha- having some interest in the stock market uh, and in the bond market is totally appropriate for young individuals. It's really easy to do. So I can walk people through how to do that. Uh, you can do it on your own. You don't need outside help. You don't need a lot of money to get that started. And so, uh, you know, the important thing there is to save uh, young. Uh, because each dollar you put in when you're 25 years old is going to be worth seven or eight dollars when you want to retire. And so those are the most valuable dollars you put in. Now, they're only valuable if you put them in the right assets. And so for the saver, no, again, it's uh, no problem to convince them to save. The, the problem is trying to convince them to save in something that appreciates over time because they don't want to take risks. They want to bury their money uh, in the sand to draw from the parable there. Um, and then I think for the spender, the, the hard part is just getting them to realize that saving early is something that they should do, right? Yeah. And once you get them there, they're okay with riskier assets, but it's just hard to get them there in the first place. So I think most people would agree with this. I need to have a budget. Yep. Uh, I need to save. Uh, I need to pay off debt or yep. be debt-free. I need to give, and I want to give. The problem is, you know, going back to the, the compulsive stuff, Many times we're living out of our heart in such a way that we're either not saving because we're spending it all, mm-hmm. we're not giving or saving because we're spending it all, uh, we're not giving because we're saving it all, mm-hmm. right? All these, so we're not actually not not doing those things. And sometimes we look at our life now and we say, okay, I've got forty thousand dollars in student loans, I've got a car payment, I've got a mortgage, I've got credit cards, and you know, I'm just in my my new career now. Where I'm finally making some money. Mm-hmm. Is it wise for me to give right now? How much should I be giving? How yeah. much should I be saving? Right? Uh, how much should be going towards debt? How do I? How do you navigate the, that that type of scenario? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think it gets back to to what is the overall goal here? Is is the goal to maximize profit in your life? Is that is that really is it just to die with the most amount of money? Um, or, or, or are you motivated by the mission of, of your church, right? And, and, and your faith. And, and if so, then I think, um, you know, to the person who, uh, wants to take the route of not giving now so that they can maximize their, uh, 401k and, and minimize their debt. I mean, they're not actually achieving their goal, right? If they're, if they're going to tell me that they're inspired by the mission of the church, then I, I'd tell them, well, you, you're not. You're you're inspired by the mission of maximizing profit, right? Um, and so I think I think that that's where we, where we start um, is you know what is your ultimate goal? And I think you know the the biggest tool that people have in their lives uh, to help combat this it's it's not it's not a spreadsheet. It's not the right investment plan. Um, it's not you know white knuckle discipline. It, it's it's folks in your community to to come around you and. Um, you know, because most of the time these decisions are, are less about, you know, the, the how of money and more about the why, uh, I think, you know, uh, your community is best suited to help you with that. And, you know, I always encourage folks to, to, you know, not view money as such a private topic that they can't talk about it with others because somebody in your life needs to have insight into how you spend your money. As we already talked about, Justin, uh, you're blind to your own greediness, right? Mm. And so if that's the case, then if, if uh, you know, nobody has insights into these, these topics in your life, then 
um, you know, you're not going to make a lot of progress. And so, you know, I, I think we've got a structure here, at least at this church, where, you know, missional community can help serve uh, as, a, uh, as, a, as a means of accountability and help you kind of determine the root issue that's really causing your money problems. Um, and, you know, I think uh, there's a lot of good examples of that. I know some of the elders here, you know, they'll, they'll give me a call. Uh, hey, I'm thinking about getting a new car. I'm thinking about doing a new house. I'm thinking about retiring. What what should I, you know, help, help me think about this situation because I don't know that I can see it properly. And so I think that's a great example for, for how we should uh, sort of combat some of the issues you've brought up. So we need to invite community, uh, wise community, let's yep. say, uh, into that. Now, what about like the, the nitty gritty? Let's get down yeah. to the spreadsheet just a little bit and say, um, you know, I've got debt. I need to save and I want to give, which one of those things are going to take priority? Because you've already brought it up. There's some of us that would say, okay, I'm just not going to give and I'm going to double down on this debt and then I'm going to get debt free. And once I'm debt free, then I'm going to start giving. Or um, is there, you know, that person that has no debt or no savings, should they save some first and then start, you know, giving? Like, how does, how do you navigate that that issue? Yeah. Yeah. So that's a a great question. I think that comes up a lot, you know, um, I think we typically encourage folks to build that discipline of generosity as you're getting out of debt, okay, or as you're starting to build your savings. And, and, it, and it gets back to, to, to some of the comments we talked about earlier is if you have a number in mind, it's never enough, right? You're never going to actually get to that number and then feel secure and then start giving, right? So I think, I think be, living generous starts today as best you can. Now, there are some unique situations where – Folks have gotten into such trouble in the past, financial trouble, like they literally don't have a dime to give and they're just, they can't even make ends meet. And in that case, we work on a plan, right? Okay. I get it. You're, you know, you're, you're underwater completely right now. So let's, let's work on how do you get out of this and, and build towards being a generous person. But I would say in most cases, I mean, 90% of the cases, uh, you know, there's, there's an opportunity to be generous right now as you are cleaning up your financial life. Uh, and don't be deceived that you'll ever reach some point where then it will feel really good to be generous. Uh, you know, I think there's there's some great examples out there. You know, Warren Buffett, he didn't start giving away money until he was about 80 years old, right? I guess, I guess 80 billion is enough. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I think uh, it, 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 it's, a, it's a fool's game to think you're ever going to get there uh, and you won't start giving it away until you're 80. That's and, good. Yeah. I know Jesus said if you have two tunics, give one to, you know, and somebody doesn't have one, you give one of your tunics to somebody else. And that causes me to think that sometimes God gives me extra, mm-hmm. not to just eat it and spend it and play with it, but he gives me extra because he wants somebody in my life to actually have it. Yep. It just comes through me yep. this time. And so we have to really be pur- purposefully um, looking at everything in our life and saying, how does God want me to spend this money? Who has God brought in my life that that might need something that I've got, and be generous on purpose with the plan. And um, for those of you out there who you know you're you're in the Quad Cities, you're members of Sacred City. We want you guys to know that um, we offer you know our financial team offers financial counseling, and so if you want to sit down with one of our folks and uh, have a conversation. Uh, we would love to do that. We want to help you be able to save. We want to help you be able to give. We want to help you get out of debt. And the goal of that isn't so you guys can just be flush with cash and retire when you're 35 and drink $8 lattes uh, on the beach. That's what we want. 
The goal is that we can treasure Jesus above all things. We can further his mission here in the Quad Cities and in Kenya and beyond. And we can make large, consistent deposits into that heavenly bank account that we'll get to enjoy for eternity. So, Brent, I just want to thank you for coming on, man. I appreciate it. I appreciate your wisdom. I appreciate your service at Sacred City and serving as our deacon of finance. And, um, man, it's been a blessing. All right. Hey, thank, thanks for having me on the show. Appreciate it. All right. All right. Well, guys, if you are uh, listening to us on uh, iTunes, please give us a rating. It really helps other people find us. Write a comment. Like us there. Share us on social media. You guys know what to do. Do that up, and we will see you next week, uh, and or next month, rather. God bless, and we'll talk to you then.